Today, our text is taken from 1 Peter, again, this being Pentecost Sunday. There's actually, uh, I think, a quite relevant text here for us to explore today. Uh, We looked at it as part of the sermon last time I preached on this passage, uh, verses 10 through 12, but here in verse 12, uh, I want to work through this phrase, it says, the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, so let me read the text here, 1 Peter 1, 12, Peter is writing to these uh, churches in Turkey, and He's talking about the prophets of the Old Testament, and he says it was revealed to them. He's talking about the prophets, that they were serving not themselves, but you, and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So we're going to be looking at this phrase today, the Holy Spirit sent from heaven and see what uh, it can teach us from the Word of God. Believers in Yahweh in the Old Testament would have been very envious of the relationship that we New Testament believers have with the Holy Spirit. Their experience with God's Spirit was only intermittent, come and go, occasionally, or temporary. He might come upon them for special occasions, such as uh, workers who were building the temple to give them uh, construction skills or embroidery skills, making the the veil that uh, hid the Holy of Holies. Or various men received the anointing of the Spirit to prophesy uh, to the people of Israel, warning them about coming judgment if they did not repent. And then there were several prophets, though, in the Old Testament who predicted a different time that would be coming in which God's Spirit would dwell within His people in a permanent way, not an intermittent, occasional way. For example, we read in Ezekiel 37, 14, the Lord says, I will put my Spirit within you, within you, and you will live. I will place you in your own land, then you shall know that I am Yahweh. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares Yahweh. Or we could turn to that great passage in Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34 about the new covenant, which says, Behold, the days are coming, declares Yahweh, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares Yahweh. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares Yahweh, I'll put my law within them. I'll write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares Yahweh, I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. 
Well, God was saying through the prophets, there's a time coming when I will put my spirit within the people of God. I'll write my law on their hearts. It won't just be external. And you'll know me. You'll know me in intimacy and in depth. And I will forgive your sins. These Old Testament believers, some of them anyway, were trying hard to keep God's law. But in their human sinful strength, it wasn't working. They were sacrificing animals day and night in the temple. Right and left, bulls and sheep and goats. But it wasn't really washing away their sins. It was just reminding them that they were sinners. So they had to continually do this. They needed something else to help them. They needed an indwelling power that they did not have. And God promised He would give them this power. We read in Acts chapter 2 that we did today of the coming of the day of Pentecost when that inner power arrived. It was prophesied by Joel two hundreds of years before it ever happened. Peter knew the prophecy of Joel and when the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the 120 disciples of Jesus some 10 days after Jesus' ascension, Peter knew exactly what was happening. So he stood up before the people and he began to preach. He says, this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And he begins to quote from Joel. In the last days it shall be, declares God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. The Holy Spirit was fulfilling Joel's prophecy. It happened on one of the yearly Jewish festival days, the day of Pentecost. Pentecost fell 50 days after the Feast of First Fruits, which happened to coincide with Christ's resurrection. And Pentecost was the celebration of the early wheat harvest. It fell seven weeks in one day after First Fruits, and it was called the Feast of Weeks. Seven weeks. Well, it was a celebration of a wheat harvest. I think that's quite appropriate that the Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost, to bring in a great harvest of souls. So here was a celebration that had been enhanced and changed, fulfilled and completed by the resurrection, ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was a harvest not just of grain, but of human souls. Souls won to the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who had placed their faith in Him and who had come to be baptized and to confess their faith. 3,000 were converted and baptized on that day. A great harvest had begun. 
The angels were rejoicing, not just over one sinner who had repented, but 3,000 on that day. An amazing thing, at the end of Peter's sermon on that day, he said to them, they said, what shall we do? They became convicted by their sin of crucifying the Messiah. He said, repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise, the promise of the Holy Spirit is for you and your children, for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. So those, Peter said, who repented would receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's a promised gift. The promise of Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Joel is what he was talking about. It would be given to all who would call on the name of the Lord to save them. Well, this is what we're going to be studying, thinking about today. The coming of the Holy Spirit upon God's people to live in their hearts. So let's pray now and ask God's blessing. Heavenly Father, we come before you today because we know that what we are celebrating, the coming of your Spirit upon your people, the entrance of the Spirit within the hearts of your people was a fulfillment of biblical prophecy. It was fulfilled because of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's what he came for, he suffered for, he rose and ascended for, so that he could send the Spirit into our hearts so that we could be changed forever, our sins truly and really forgiven and cleansed and wiped away. So guide us today, teach us through your word, by the guidance of your Holy Spirit. We pray in our Savior's name. Amen. Amen. Well, our text today is 1 Peter 1.12. The Holy Spirit sent from heaven. The prophets had received some kind of revelation in which they understood there was a time coming when the Spirit would come upon God's people. And they sensed that what they were prophesying was not just for the people of their day, but for the future generations of believers for us. Peter's writing to these scattered churches, Pontius, Galatia, and so forth. Uh, Turkey, present-day Turkey. And so he's telling them that those who came to preach the gospel to them did so not in their own power or wisdom, but in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. So what he's saying essentially is something supernatural was happening when you were listening to the gospel being preached. It wasn't just a communication of humans to human, but God was working in these preachers to reveal Jesus Christ to you. And you heard the voice of the Spirit, and you believed. Well, the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Where did the Holy Spirit come from? Well, it tells us, right? He came from heaven. Mm-hmm. He came on the day of Pentecost to these 120 disciples. 
And he comes on us too. He comes on the church throughout the history of the church. So, sent from heaven, the first truth I want us to think about in a few minutes is the fact that the Holy Spirit's eternal abiding place is in heaven. So the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Before he came to earth, he lived in all eternity past with the Father and the Son. He was there when the universe was created. We read in Genesis 1, 1, 2, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the deep. So we see at the very beginning of the universe, God was there, the Holy Spirit was there. We read in Hebrews 9.14, says, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit, offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So the writer to Hebrews is speaking about the blood of Christ, which, is, uh, which Christ presented to God, and by the eternal Spirit offered himself to God for our salvific salvation benefit he's called the eternal spirit so there it is the spirit's eternal the father's eternal the son is eternal there's three eternals the one god there never was a time when the father did not exist there never was a time when the son did not exist there never was a time when the spirit did not exist one God in three persons, eternally existent. Well, the Spirit was there when creation happened. Because he'd always been there with the Father and with the Son. Listen to what uh, Isaiah says in chapter 40, verse 12. Who's measured out the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens by the span and calculated the dust of the earth by the measure, and weighed the mountains in a balance, and the hills in a pair of scales, who has directed the spirit of the Lord, of Yahweh, or as, his, or as his counselor informed him. So what he's saying here is that all these creative acts of mountains and hills, and the dust, was by the spirit of God. Well, the Holy Spirit is equal, in power, and glory, and creatorship, with the other two persons of the one God, with the Father and with the Son. God is a trinity. And yes, the Holy Spirit, He is God. He is God's personal presence with us on earth. He is how God is with us, how we know His fellowship, and how we know Christ's fellowship. It's by the Holy Spirit. To remove any doubt that the Holy Spirit is indeed God, we have this uh, well-known passage in Acts chapter 5 where uh, Ananias and his wife lied to the apostles about how much money they got for selling some land. And so Peter confronts Ananias and he says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not 
remain your own, and after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You've not lied to men, but to God. So, he says, you lied, first he said you lied to the Holy Spirit. He says you lied to God. So the Holy Spirit and God are the same here. So, uh, there it is. The Holy Spirit is God. He's God's personal presence on earth with his people. He was sent from heaven. That's where the triune God lives. That's where the Spirit lives. But the Spirit did not just stay in heaven. God did not look down upon the human planet, at the millions of people, the sinful people, who had rejected the knowledge of Him. God didn't look down on the human race and say, well, I'm just going to let them go on in their sins and their rejection of me and let them all go to hell, which is what they deserve anyway. Let me wash my hands, go about my business in heaven. No, he didn't do that because that's not his nature. He's merciful. He's a merciful God. In fact, he showed great mercy twice over. He sent his son to be incarnated of the Virgin Mary. Then after the glorification of his son, he sent his spirit and power upon the church. And so his spirit indwells the lives of those who believe in God's Son. Are you a believer in Jesus today? Amen. Amen. You can sing along with Charles Wesley that famous hymn, Tis mercy all, immense and free, for oh my God it found out me. That is so true, is it not? Amen. Well, the point I'm attempting to make here is that the Holy Spirit sent from heaven upon the church is no less than the personal presence of the living God himself. He sent to earth to communicate to us people the reality and the truths of God. Jesus said in Matthew 28, verse 20, after he commanded his uh, disciples to go and preach the gospel, he said, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Well, not long after that, he ascended and went back to heaven. So how could he be with them? Well, remember Wayne's sermon from last Sunday? I believe it was there that Wayne was preaching about the ascension. He said, there's a man in heaven today, this very hour, the incarnate Son of God. The incarnation was not a temporary, uh, a temporary situation for Jesus, for the Son of God, but it was permanent. When the second person of the triune God took upon himself our humanity, he lived as a human, he died as the God-man, he rose as the God-man, fully human, he was raised, his body, his glorified body, same body but glorified to be forever the incarnate Son of God. So in a real sense, his location is fixed. It's at the right hand of God the Father. But he's with us by his Spirit. The Spirit communicates to us the love, mercy of Christ. Wherever one person 
other trinity is operating. He's operating in coordination and unity with the other two persons of the trinity. This is just marvelous. It shows us that God is God. He's greater than we are. His wisdom, his planning for the salvation of his people is beyond our ability to think of or even to totally grasp. And he spared nothing to save us. He spares nothing to sanctify us, to help us grow and mature in Christ. Remember what we've seen in 1 Peter so far, back in chapter 1, verse 5, it says, speaking of believers, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. See, it's not our power. It's not our will. It's not our human righteousness that's keeping us and guarding us safely in Christ Jesus, but it's none less than the same power that spoke the universe into existence, that's guarding and keeping God's people until he sends his son from heaven to bring them up out of the graves, unite them to himself with their glorified bodies. Hallelujah! There's a great day coming. What a great salvation. Is there any other religion or God known on planet earth that can compare with Christianity? No, there is not. There is salvation in no one else but in the name of Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by Him. Amen. Now, if you're a Christian today, it's because of God's love and mercy to you. He set his love upon you from before the foundation of the world. And his love and mercy is extended to you as long as God lives. God lives for eternity, for all eternity future. Therefore, you are safe in his keeping for this life and the eternal life to come. You can't buy that with all the money in the world. Great is Yahweh. And greatly to be praised, for he's done great things to rescue and redeem his people unto himself. Remember, you are the treasure, the goal of this salvation business. All this effort that God has exercised in human history to save you and make you his own child. Here we were, wallowing in our sins, like a pig wallows in the mud. But God had mercy. He provided not only His Son from heaven, but His Holy Spirit from heaven also. We're saved by the blood and sanctified by the Spirit. The Spirit is the one who sets us apart, saves us, and brings us along our our Christian pilgrimage. But don't forget this. We're not only saved by the blood, sanctified, set apart by the Spirit, but we're loved by the Father. Amen. He's behind all this also. So what more can we ask for? Well, the Holy Spirit existed eternally in heaven with the Father and the Son. He's God Almighty, along with the Father and the Son. 
the triune God. Second thing I want to point out today is that the Holy Spirit was sent from heaven to earth. Where would we be today without the Holy Spirit? We would definitely not be Christians because it's the Spirit who reveals Christ to us, who reveals our sins to us, who regenerates us, that takes our spiritually dead hearts, makes them come alive so that we have the ability and the desire to repent of our sins and believe in Christ. A dead person cannot make himself alive. A spiritually dead person, born in sin, as every person is in the human race, it's very natural for a sinner to sin, as natural as breathing air. Such a person has to be acted upon by God himself or they'll never believe. They'll never have saving faith. Because saving faith is a gift of God. It's the instrument through which God enables us to believe in Christ. It comes about by the invisible work of the Holy Spirit who sent from heaven to earth. Well, I want to now mention three reasons the Spirit was sent from heaven to earth. First of all, He was sent to anoint the prophets for their prophecies. We see in 2 Peter 1.12, brother, I text today, that uh, it was revealed to them. He's talking about the prophets. It was revealed to them. The things to come. And then we read that great passage in 2 Peter chapter 121. says, No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Where did these prophets get their prophecies as the Holy Spirit inspired them. Or here's another good example from uh, of how this happened. Nehemiah 9 30, chapter 9, verse 30. Uh, many years you bore with them, the people of God, and warned them by your spirit through the prophets. How were they warned? The Holy Spirit was speaking through the prophets. There's another reason the Holy Spirit was sent from heaven. To anoint the Lord Jesus for his messianic ministry. We see this actually happened. It was recorded. This event was recorded in the Gospels. Matthew, for example, chapter 3, verse 16. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God. Descending in the form of a dove, like a dove, and coming to rest on him. Behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. So, the Bible tells us that uh, God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit. He went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. So, the Spirit came from heaven to anoint the Son of God for His messianic ministry. And then thirdly, the Spirit came from heaven to anoint the preaching of the gospel. 
Peter, again, in 1 Peter 1.12, he's talking to these Christians, and he says these things, the gospel things, have been announced to you. They've been proclaimed to you through those who preach the good news to you in their own human wisdom. No, it doesn't say that. Preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It wasn't their ingenuity, their creativity that brought the saving power of the gospel to these people. It was the Holy Spirit sent from heaven that anointed their preaching, that convinced them of the reality of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Paul talks about this. In 1 Corinthians 2.4 he says, My speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom. Not in, not in human wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and in power. Paul said, I didn't come preaching fancy words, but I came preaching the simple gospel and the power of the Spirit. It was the power of the Spirit and the truth of the gospel that saved you, that brought you to saving faith. Well, another point I want to make today about the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Why was He sent from heaven? He was sent to indwell believers, to live in the hearts of believers. He regenerates believers. He makes us come alive, as I've already mentioned. Galatians 4 verse 4 says, When the fullness of time had come, when it was just the right time in human history, and the providence of God, in other words, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, incarnated, in other words, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. We were outside the family of God, but He sent His Son to adopt us to make His own Sons and daughters. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. Holy Spirit, come into our hearts so that we cry, Abba, Father. That's like Daddy. A term of affection and intimacy. So you're no longer a slave, but you're a son, a child of God. Because he has sent his spirit into your heart to adopt you into the family of God. Well, the spirit comes to believers. He's sent from heaven to reveal the things of God to believers. John writes in chapter 14, verse 26, in his gospel, The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. And bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. He's speaking to the apostles here. It's true also for us. The Holy Spirit teaches us all things regarding God. And then the Holy Spirit reveals Christ to believers. <coughs> uh, John goes on in his gospel and records these words of Jesus in John 15, 26, when the Helper comes, the Comforter, the Paraclete, when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth, 
who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. There's one thing about the Spirit of God. He is truth. He speaks truth. No lies. Complete dependability. The Spirit of truth. He reveals Christ to us. He teaches us the things of Christ. So when we read the Word of God, when we hear the Word of God preached, there's a supernatural dynamic going on unseen. The Holy Spirit is taking the Word of God and working in our minds and hearts to teach us of the living Christ to build our faith. Convict us of our sins. See, the Holy Spirit, He's the down payment of our full redemption. We read about this in Ephesians 1, verse 13. In Him, writes Paul, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Stamp of ownership was put on your life. Who is the guarantee? The Holy Spirit is the guarantee. He's the down payment. He's the deposit of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Again, in 2 Corinthians 1.21, Paul says, It's God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us, and who has also put His seal on us, and has given us His Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. This is what God does by His Spirit. He's the Spirit of sanctification. We're going to learn more about that next week. We're going to be looking at 1 Peter 1, uh, verse 2, where it speaks of the sanctification of the Spirit, where the Spirit sets us apart for God, and then He works within us to conform us into the image of Christ. So these are some of the vital ministries of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. Just think, a non-believer doesn't have any of this happening in his life. He may have, you know, superficial knowledge of religion, even of Christianity, but the dynamic, the power, the life-changing power is not there if the Holy Spirit has not been sent from heaven into that person's heart and mind. So the Holy Spirit's eternal abiding place is in heaven. He is God, the third person of the triune God. He's to be worshipped. He's to be obeyed. We don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. We want to submit to Him. When He speaks to us, whenever He speaks to us, it will always be in conformity with His Word, never opposed or apart from His Word. He's the eternal, the Spirit abides in heaven, but He's come to earth to be in our hearts. Therefore, we need to respond to Him. We need to be open to Him. Paul said, be filled continuously with the Holy Spirit. We need to be open to the Spirit. Let Him have His way in our life. Let Him work in our lives in power. He was sent from heaven to earth. He is God's presence with us on earth. The eternal living God, the creator of the ends of the earth, is with each believer, walking every step of our pilgrim journey. Praise God. The Spirit works in union with the Son and the Father. 
to abide with us, to lead us and to guide us, to be our helper all the days of our life. The Holy Spirit was sent from heaven to indwell believers. He's closer than our own breath, closer than the hand before our eyes. The Holy Spirit indwells our hearts. He manifests the graciousness of God to sinners, the love of God. He grants to us the presence of God. So he's come from heaven to live in us, to live among us, to work within us, to bless us, to show us his love and mercy and faithfulness. So let's be open to the Spirit of God. Let's worship him for who he is. Let him use us in his service. Let's pray. We thank you, Father, for the great redemptive work of the triune God. You not only sent your Son to die on Calvary's cross, to be raised from the dead, but you then sent your Spirit to fill your people, to empower them, to abide with them, to regenerate them, to reveal your love and mercy and care for them. We thank you, Lord, that we are not just walking alone in this world, but we have the presence of your Spirit, Father, to walk with us every step of the way, to enable us to commune with you, to worship you, to pray to you, to receive guidance from you, to be strengthened in our holy faith, to know your presence day by day and hour by hour. We thank you for such a blessed presence, the precious Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.